prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast. And this is episode number 45, and I'm going to be talking about crit racing tips. Um, in the previous episode, we did a road racing tips podcast, um, and this is going to be following on from that a little bit, and but taking the route of crit racing, um, which shows some similarities, but uh, obviously some differences as well to road racing tips and tactics. Now, I'm going to be real with you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as you can probably tell by my tone of voice, um, I'm not feeling too clever today. Um, to tell you the truth, I feel uh, physically and mentally a bit run down um, and, and not in a great headspace at the minute. Um, I mean, to be honest, I've just had a pretty rubbish few days. Um, to cut a long story... F- to cut a long story short, um, I mean it's mainly stemmed due to due to an illness that I've got. Um, uh, be and and basically my my daughter picked up tonsillitis about uh, a week ago, about two weeks ago now, um, and I thought I'd dodged a bullet. I thought I'd uh, managed not to contract it, um, and then um, and then yeah, about a. W- four or five days after she got rid of it, um, I started to feel really crap, um, had a high temperature, achy bones, fatigue, the lot, um, and then I got a really sore throat, um, and then, uh, and yeah, I mean, my, my throat got progressively worse, I was sleeping absolutely atrociously, um, we were actually, unfortunately, it coincided with going away for the weekend, um, and I couldn't get access to a pharmacy or my GP to, to book an appointment with them over the weekend. Um, anyway, um, Monday morning came around, I booked an appointment with the GP, um, and they've got me on some antibiotics for a throat infection. So, yeah, this is this just shows my dedication to the podcast now. I've said I'm going to do it every Tuesday. I'm going to stick to that regardless um and uh or at least once a week um i think next week i've penciled in to do it on a wednesday for example um but yeah every week uh regardless um and yeah i mean on top of all that on top of the actual throat infection itself um i've also um well put it this way i've got a face for radio today because both of my eyes both of my eyes have got conjunctivitis. Um, it's the first time I've ever had it in my life. 
and um, I've heard about it before, like back at sc- in school and stuff. Um, and uh, what I found out is that it's a very kind of um, opportunistic infection. So it's the kind of infection that you get if you're already run down or if your immune system's already suppressed. Um, similar to like what ulcers are and coleslaws are, coleslaw are and things like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I contracted the throat infection. I was a little bit run down um, and I wasn't sleeping very well at the time because of the heat. Um, and then, yeah, my eye started itching. My eye started going really droopy and then it started weeping um, and, uh, and yeah, I didn't really know at the time what was going on. Um, and then it spread, it spread to my other eye and now both of my eyes are red raw, absolutely bloodshot, proper, proper, proper red. If you saw me right now, um, you would think I'm a junkie. You would think I'm absolutely high as a kite because both my eyes just look completely spaced, really, really red and horrible. And uh, they're very sensitive. So even now, you know, uh, talking to talking to you via this podcast, I'm not looking at my computer screen uh, as I normally would. Um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking away because the the light from the computer screen was even hurting my eyes um, before. So it's quite hard to do work this week. Um, not only that, but I've had a a fairly close, well, a very close relative pass away this week. Um, my grand passed away a few days ago, um, and to be honest, um, as strange as it sounds, I don't feel like. I don't feel like it affected me when I got that news. It wasn't, you know, when my dad rang me up to tell me that my gran had passed away. Um, obviously, we kind of knew it was coming um, in the last few days or weeks of her life. Um, and uh, for anyone who's had a, a relative, pa- a close relative pass away, you'll know what I mean. Um, you kind of know it's coming. Um, it's it's their time to go, and you know you you kind of just ticking off the days um when i got told that she passed away um it wasn't such a such a massive kind of heart wrench um and and i feel almost guilty for saying that um and uh my wife was really surprised that i wasn't you know uh showing much emotion or or um sadness due to it and obviously obviously i am very very sad of her passing and she brought some incredible memories um and i'm actually doing the speech at her funeral um because i think i'm the only one that that feels like they can hold themselves together when doing it or at least i hope um but um but yeah i think on reflection I think we all mourn in different ways um, and we all express sadness in different ways. And although I didn't necessarily fall to my knees and cry and couldn't get out of bed for a day or so, maybe that was an influencing factor on me getting ill um, and feeling a bit crap the last few days. And even though I don't necessarily attribute that it to that, um, I do feel a bit generally down in myself for the past few days. I mean, I'm just saying I feel down because I'm ill and I feel down. <coughs> I'm ill, so I feel down and I can't train. Um, and you, I mean, you know what it's like. Um, 
So, so yeah, that's a bit of a summary of the last few days. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm I've ju- I've only just started to feel better in myself because you know all the achy bones and the, and the cold sweats have actually stopped now. Um, and it's just this incredibly annoying sore throat. Every time I swallow, it feels like I'm getting daggers in the back of my throat um and uh, and my eyes are just constantly streaming and really really sore uh, like never had such sore eyes before it's horrible and it makes you feel so tired um but i actually feel okay myself now um and i am actually able to do some exercise i'll call it exercise as opposed to training um i have actually exercised every single day while i've been ill but I must stress that is what I call exercise and not training. Um, and there's a key difference because to me, training is um, putting myself, my body through its paces and pushing myself for a specific purpose. Whereas the exercise that I've been doing while I'm ill is purely for the purpose of enjoyment, for the purpose of ticking me over and a bit of kind of uh, maintenance as opposed to thinking oh i need to hit these numbers um so yeah a couple of steady runs um a couple of steady rides um and just ticking things over but very frustrating because going back to my running training um i was just starting to get rid of the shin splints and i had a couple of good runs um and uh really effective training sessions good intervals and um I got a PB 5K the other week as well, which I was really happy with. Um, I got a 16 minute and I can't remember what it was now. 16 minute and 16 seconds 5K. Um, and uh, and yeah, I've got a 10K booked in in a couple of weeks and things were going well. Um, and I was looking forward to the next kind of block and then this came along. And it's one of those just annoying things which is taking ages to recover from. But Anyway, ho ho! I've got to be, I've got to be patient, um, and I'm just happy that I've got my family around me, and I've got lots of support from other people, um, which are, which are helping me through it. And my wife's very supportive and very caring, and is very good at making life a little bit easier in times when I'm feeling a bit ill. Um, but uh, but yeah, the reason I wanted to say that at the, at the start of the podcast um, and just be very open as to how I'm feeling right now um, is because I know that you'll all be able to relate to that to some extent. Um, every single one of you that's listening to this podcast will have been ill at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the last few days, especially when it drags on as well, like I was feeling really ropey for two or three days then the throat kind of tenderness came and the eyes started developing then i you know had unbelievable like uh cold shivers and and sorry cold sweats and stuff like that and achy bones while all the other symptoms were happening and only now do i feel normally myself but my throat's still there and i feel a bit suppressed um and the problem is it's because of the dragging on as an athlete we are very used to being, you know, uh, knowing how our body reacts to certain stimuli and being very on top of um, certain aspects of, of our fitness, very on top on top of recovery, 
Um, and, and being in a position where we feel athletic a lot of the time. Um, and, uh, and when you're ill, like, I mean, I must admit I had absolutely zero motivation to do absolutely F all for a good few days of being ill. Um, I mean, I've, I've been worse before by, by lots of, uh, on lots of accounts, but, um, I just remember like the middle two days or, you know, the worst of it, I was like lying on the sofa and any time I even got off the sofa, I just felt real woozy and real dizzy and like I wanted to sit down again and you know, something's up then. Um, and, uh, and like, I remember looking out the window at my neighbor, just digging out his front lawn, like all day and thinking, I don't even have the energy to do, to do that. Never mind do a training session. Um, and it's a horrible situation to be in, but what I'll say is that, um, it's at times like this where you stop and reflect and you think, um, about, about how crap, uh, illness is, but then also how everyone goes through it at time to time. And in the moment, it feels like the worst thing in the world, but actually everybody goes through shit and, away from illness and just uh talking uh, going back to my family um family loss recently like everyone's going through that type of thing all the time and actually just showing a little bit of um love and affection and kindness to to people even if they're not necessarily telling you that that's the scenario um it can go a long way to to make them feel a lot better um so yeah, like I say, I mean, it's amazing how even though I wasn't necessarily feeling really down when my uh, grand passed away, um, some of my friends kind of found out as well and then dropped me a quick message to say, oh, I am really, really hope you're doing all right and, and gave me a phone call and, and talked to me about it. And it was just really nice to hear those type of, type of words and just, just talk to it about, about someone. Um, so, yeah, anyway um again a bit of a dark and gloomy start to the podcast (laughs) i hope i haven't dampened your spirit dampened your day um let's get into the podcast um i've waffled on too much crit racing tips so um first of all what is a crit so crits um are these like real frantic races which last roughly 45 minutes to an hour um and are raced on the road but um racing a crit is is very different to taking part in a road race the style of racing is different um the fitness requirements are different and the tactics are very different as well um these races are obviously shorter than road races um they are faster typically they are typically more technical as well um and depending on who you ask um if you ask me for example i would say they're more fun now if we simply google search what is crit racing um google will tell us that a criterium is a lapped race on a closed circuit um laps are usually anywhere between half a mile to one and a half miles long um and they have typically four to six turns, apparently. Um, total race distance is usually 15 miles up to 25 miles. 
Um, so anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour of racing. Um, and yeah, <clears throat> whether that be in town centre crits um, on the national series um, or whether that be at your local circuit, they never go above an hour. Um, and typically, depending on what category you're racing, depends on whether it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes or an hour. Um, but um, but yeah, I've raced many crits in my time. Um, I've had some great results at some crits. I've done some town centre crits at Otley and Ilkley and Barnsley and so on. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's a there's a great atmosphere with those town centre crits because you get people over the barriers, you know, banging, cheering you on. You got loads of people there that you know. There's the guy on the tannoy like shouting out your name when you go past and so on. Um, and they're typically done at night as well, which I really enjoy. Um, but even like at your local circuit, um, circuit racing is, is, is great. You know, I, I feel like it's a much more intense form of road racing for me personally. Now this is just personal experience, personal opinion. I can easily switch off a little bit in road racing, um, because I come from a cyclocross background road racing is just too long for me like if we've been riding around for an hour and nothing much is happening um because of my short punchy term of power i tend not to be the one to initiate breaks but then also i'm i'm um i get caught napping like i don't i'm not analyzing the race enough um i get bored and then i switch off whereas with crits because it's only 45 minutes to an hour of racing and there's constantly something happening. Um, you know, you can be the instigator whenever you want. You can catch people napping. You can do what you want with it, and uh, and yeah, you can um, you can initiate these moves and you can respond to these moves. And there's always something going on. So it's it's really intense. And it's there's never there's never any period where you are off the gas. Um, and if there is a period where you're off the gas, something's about to happen any minute. Um, so some things to bear in mind with regards to crits, um, and, and tips, I'm just going to kind of reel them off my tongue and talk about them in order. I've made some rough notes, um, but it kind of in numerical order, like the first thing that I would say is, um, do not panic. Now, when you are on the start line, and you are um, about to set off. Um, you'll have a lot of nerves, which is all all fine. Your heart rate will be up in the hundreds when you're not even moving, which is all fine. Um, I remember one of my athletes, you know, panicking like crazy because his heart rate's at like 120, and he's just stood on the start line. Mine's exactly the same, and it's just that anticipation of what's to come. It is the adrenaline kicking in. It's probably about a lot of the caffeine kicking in as well. But think of it a different way. Think that is your body's response and that is your body's response to say you are ready. If your heart rate was down in the 60s, 70s on the start line, I would be worried. If your heart rate's up at the hundreds or whatever it might be, ready to start that race. I mean, sometimes I look down and I'm not moving. My heart rate's 140, 150 beats a minute. And I've been not moving for ages. And that's that adrenaline starting to build up and you, you're ready to go. And that means that when, when you do clip in and when you when the when the guy blows the whistle, um, 
don't panic too much for the first 10 minutes or so. Now, what I'll say from the very start though is these are just general bits of advice. Don't take them as golden rules. Because well, the first thing that I was going to say is don't panic within the first 15, 20 minutes and rarely does a winning move go in that first 15, 20 minutes. However, winning moves have gone in the last 15, 20 minutes, the, the first 15, 20 minutes before. And although eight times out of 10, it won't do, there will be two times out of 10 when it does work going going early and, and a, a group forms. Often it depends on the... Um, the spread of riders if all of the riders are very very similar ability very rarely does a break form in the first 20 minutes um and very you know in most cases the race doesn't truly kind of form and begin until the last half um while everyone else is blowing themselves to bits in the first half of the race, absolutely scrambling to get on the wheels, panicking that they're going to lose out if they don't get on the wheels, you should just sit in, conserve your energy, and wait for the action to really start heating up. If we just actually have I've kind of missed something quite critical here before the race even starts, make sure you've got a good warm protocol. Um, I know I've done a whole podcast on warm-ups before, so um, if you're interested, go and have a look at that. But but yeah, in terms of warming up, because of the intensity of a crit, especially in the first half, just make sure you're appropriately warmed up, just as if you were to go full gas from the start. You need to get your heart rate up to a, a, the appropriate level. So it needs to be progressive warm-up for at least 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It also needs to include some um, efforts around VO2 max power and some little intermittent sprints as well to kind of fire things up. But I won't go into too much specifics. So yeah, first first 15, 20 minutes, don't panic too much. Um, you know, uh, people will be fresh in the first 20 minutes. Everyone's going to have fresh legs. So it's very likely if a, if a group goes or a few people goes, there will be... I'm yawning. Bloody hell. Wow. First time I've yawned on a podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, there is... In that first 20 minutes, there's going to be a lot of fresh legs. And if people are going to go and try and form little groups, people are going to be fresh enough to want to respond to it. Because people are interested in sitting in a group for the for the, the remainder of that race if they can get away with it um but you need to be savvy with it like if you if you see a group form and they are 20 meters up the road and you notice that there is a spread of teammates in that group it's a fairly big group and they're working well together there's some strong guys in it then you don't just want to be sat in the group thinking oh yeah it'll come back eventually because if there's like you know, if of the all the different teams that are in the group, there's there's a teammate of at least three of the big big hitting teams, um, and there's some strong riders in there. You know, that's likely going to be a winning move. And the 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 thing is, every single person in that break is going to be working the socks off to try and get away. Um, whereas there's going to be the morale in the group isn't quite the same intensity. 
a lot of people will be leaving it to other people. And if everyone's doing that, then you're not ever going to catch. So if you can soon notice that it's not going to get brought back, then you need to instigate that. Um, so I say don't panic, but also be cautious in the first 20 minutes. Um, sip my drink. Oh man, I tell you what, every time I swallow, it really hurts my throat. But also, if I don't drink and my throat gets dry, it makes my throat really sore. So <laughs> it's a lose-lose situation. I've drunk so much fluid in the last few days just to keep my throat dry. Um, and uh, yeah, so next point is attacking. <clears throat> um, in a crit, I would say you really need to attack like you mean it. Now, sometimes a soft attack, quote-unquote soft attack, might work in road racing. But there's rarely such a thing in crit racing. Um, because the pace is typically very fast, you need to attack even faster than that. You, you don't want to attack from you know, 30, 30 places back uh, in the pack um, because by the time you hit the front of the peloton, you'll be tired out um, and, and people will have seen you coming. Uh, people will have uh, um, figured you out. Um, but also, you, you never want to attack from the front. I mean, that's a very obvious statement. Um, obvious to some anyway. <laughs> um, never, ever, just be clear, never, ever attack from the front of the race, from the front of the peloton. Um, you want to be jumping from somewhere around the top 10 positions, uh, depending on obviously how many people are in the race. Um, and when you do make a move, see if you can enlist someone to come with you. Um, when you do make a big move, see if you can convince someone to come with you because um, obviously, obviously it'll be a lot easier if you get someone to share the wind with. Now, on that subject, um, if I think back to um, what, I, what was arguably one of my easiest crit race wins, but also my... Um, I wouldn't call it my best... Yeah, it was probably my best win, actually, um, in terms of on paper. It kind of just worked out perfectly. Um, it was in like 2018, um, when we were doing some Nat B crits, um, at Ennerdale circuit in Hull. And, uh, I, um, basically, I, I'm going to kind of go off memory here uh, as much as I possibly can. Um, about halfway through, there's about 20 minutes to go. Um, the pace lulled, we were all still in a big group, a few people had, you know, tried some moves lots of times and, and nothing was really getting away. Um, I then decided um, that I wanted to be the instigator and try something. But in terms of my power profile, as I've said before, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've got a good kick, I've got a good sprint and I can hold it very well for about three minutes. But anything over three minutes, I really do suffer. So I can't time trail for shit. <laughs> um, so basically, if I'm going to try and make a move with 20 minutes, 30 minutes left of the race, I really want someone to come with me. Because 
I can kick like crazy for a two, three, four laps and get a gap. But then once I settle into that pace, I'm not great. So I wanted someone to come with me. So what I did, um, about halfway through, there was one of um, my rivals. Um, I call him my rival because he was on an opposing team. He was a strong rider and he was actually second to me in this overall series. Um, he's a very good bike racer. Um, he's been around a long time um, and he's very, very talented. Um, he was on my wheel. He was kind of marking me, so to speak. So I knew that if I tried to make a move, tried to make an attack, he was going to come with me. I kind of knew. I, it was just, it was perfectly, uh, perfectly kind of planned out, I guess. Even though we'd never talked beforehand, and I could see that it was on my wheel. Um, and I, I basically just waited until there was. Uh, we were on a certain section where we were coming out of a corner into a fairly big headwind. Now. The reason I attacked on the headwind is because when you're in the tailwind, you're already going very fast. You're already going, whatever it might be, 28, 30 mile an hour. So it's hard to accelerate f faster than that. But if you're in a headwind and the peloton's doing 21 mile an hour, um, you know, it's it's to smash the pedals and get up to 30 mile an hour is, is, is fairly all right if you get in a nice aero position and you smash the pedals hard. So... That's what I did. I railed, I railed the corner beforehand. I was in like 10th position. I didn't look very suspicious whatsoever. Um, I looked over my shoulder, saw that he was still there. And then I basically um, absolutely smashed the pedals to pieces. Now, I know that I've got a better sprint than this guy. So the absolutely perfect um, scenario was that he followed me. It was literally a two-up because he's a very good time trialist. So it was a, literally a two-up. And as long as I can stay with him, um, and it, if it comes down to a sprint, I kind of am confident that I've got him, and that's exactly what happened. We, um, I kicked the pedals like crazy. Um, he said to me afterwards that he he was for that first lap of me going hard, he was struggling to stay on my wheel. Um, but uh, we got an initial gap of like twenty thirty meters, and then we basically just time trialed it for the rest of the twenty twenty minutes. Um, me and him through and off, we were doing like. Uh, 30 40 second turns which is like three quarters of a lap um sharing the work really well working really well together came down to like two laps to go and there was a little bit of tactics a little bit of uh a little bit of to and fro in a little bit of long turns and so on um not wanting to take to take the win to the last lap um but yeah I, I mean I, like i say i knew i had the sprint on him so i just went early um and and held the sprint and 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 won that and it was a fantastic feeling and for me that's a perfect race like um because the the benefit there is that i've got less pressure to when it comes down to a bunch sprint like I, I always like bunch sprints but there's always a lot of pressure involved with them there's like okay well you have to be on the perfect wheel you have to be in the perfect position in the bunch you have to be on the right side of the bunch you have to make sure you don't get swamped you make, have to make sure that so-and-so doesn't go early and if he does go early what are you going to do about it and so on whereas if it's just two up there's only one person you have to worry about um and also obviously if it's a guy that you know that you're better at sprinting against then it's nice and easy um i mean 
yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think I even kind of led him round the, the last lap, kind of soft tapping, and then just smashed the pedals hard from the front because he just wasn't going to come round after about two laps to go. So, um, but anyway, I still won anyway. And and yeah, I mean, that that's my um, uh, proudest, not proudest moment by any means, but um, a win that I was really happy with because I kind of played it really well. I instigated that move and then I obviously won it as well. So it was good. Um but uh, but yeah, I mean that's um, that's a good example of why you need to bring someone with you. You need, you need to convince someone to come with you. And when I looked back at my wheel and I saw that his heel his wheels on my my wheel, he knew he kind of knew that there was going to be something going on. Um, and uh, I think as soon as he looked back and realised that I moved out to the outside of the pack. And I was kind of moving up towards the front of the pack. I think he already already knew that there was something coming. Um, and yeah, he told me that after. He, he kind of knew that I was going to attack at some point like that. Um, so yeah, with other things with regards to crits, um, cornering. Now, when it comes time to corner, um, and you'll be doing this a lot, you need to hold your line and follow the wheel in front. Um, don't let that wheel go. Um, you know, you can certainly burn a lot of energy by accelerating out of corners to try and catch back on. Um, and when the race involves, you know, more than a hundred corners in one race, um, that's a lot of wasted energy. So obviously way back before that, you need to, if you're not already, you need to be good at doing corners. Um, if you think you're going to get good crit results this year, and you're fit as a fiddle, but you're crap at cornering, then, if anything, I would sacrifice some training and some hard intervals on the turbo for just going out and practicing cornering. Get confident at leaning the bike over on the rails and uh, also get confident in pedaling through turns as well. Um, Something that I've never been as confident with, like, I'm very confident in, like, smashing a a U-turn smashing a um uh you know a back on itself corner where i have to absolutely get the tires on the rails um and and lean right into it where the bike's at 45 degrees and so on um and there's some fantastic photos of me um uh, where it almost looks like i've got a bloody elbow down um at york sport circuit um on that hairpin um but uh but yeah when it comes to like pedaling through corners i'm less confident and i think that comes a lot a lot with being a taller rider and obviously having longer cranks but um but yeah that that feeling when you clip your clip your pedal is not a nice one um and i've known some people who purposely just get short cranks not for any physiological um benefit uh, if anything they're more efficient with longer cranks but just for the benefit of being able to pedal through turns um something that i've been uh, considering actually um but um but yeah you need to be good at, at, at cornering um a variety of different corners and you'll you'll know the guys i'm on about who are very strong um and then it comes to a corner and then they drop off the wheel and then they have to sprint like crazy it's just lots and lots and lots of wasted energy um energy that you could be conserving um for later in the race um and uh yeah kind of mini tip if you are one of those guys which is really bad at cornering um 
and you're trying to get better, whatever you do, don't just sit at the back of the bunch because you'll make it so hard for yourself. Just try and get up to the front. I know it's easier said than done. Try and get up to the front and dictate the pace a bit more. Um, and you'll hopefully kind of get pulled along with that with that speed of the cornering. Watch the guys around you, see what they're doing. Um, and yeah, just death grip the bars and don't touch the brakes, I guess. <laughs> um, not true advice. <laughs> Sip my drink. Um, so yeah, when, when cornering, get down low, keep your centre of mass low, follow the wheel in front. Um, Weight the front wheel to get more traction. If anything, if it's a very tight corner and you're not pedaling, then then weight that back. Uh, sorry, outside pedal a little bit as well, and glide through the corner. Really smooth, smooth lines. Um, in crits, um, as in all road racing events, energy conservation is like the, the absolute name of the game. Um, and and getting to the closing kilometers with plenty of the plenty of kind of energy in the tank, and you'll definitely improve your chances of getting a great result. You know, it's it's very obvious to state that. Other little things to consider that is that you should um, move through the bunch um, or attack during the lulls. It makes absolutely no sense trying to gain places when the bunch is absolutely strung out at like 50 kilometers an hour. Um, there's further to go to move up and it takes more energy to do so. So moving up through the bunch isn't easy when, when you're going so hard. So so just wait for those like little lulls. You know, when, when the pace just suddenly backs off and you, you feel, if anything, like you need to apply the brakes, they're the times to move up through the bunch if you need to get up, up through the bunch. Um, never, ever take a pull at the front unless there's a very good reason to do so. <laughs> so, you know, you see it all the time in low-level crits where, you know, there's the, there's the main bunch... And there's this guy like at the front, just take absolutely smashing the pedals. For for what reason? For for what reason? Um, you know, he he's a he's a he's an individual rider. He's got no teammates. He's not trying to keep the pace high so that you, people don't attack or whatever. You know, there's no one up the road. So why is he on the front just drilling it? Um, sometimes there is a reason to do so. Um, so for example, if you're in a race winning breakaway. Um, but uh, yeah, more often than not, there isn't uh, any kind of reason to do so. Um, so even if you're feeling strong, you know, if you're feeling strong, you shouldn't be at the front of the bunch smashing the pedals. Either attack very hard, try and get a group formed, or wait, um, or wait for later in the race when it really matters, or or for the sprint. Um, another key point is about reading the race. Um, when you decide, when you're deciding whether to bridge up to the break or not, take a good look at kind of who's in the break. Um, do those riders have a reputation of making the break stick? Um, how many seconds ahead are they? Are they in the right um, combination of teams representing the break? Um, so, for example, um, if in that move like let's say there's three guys up the road and 
they're all in the same team. But there's four other teams in the peloton, like big teams, and you're on your own. Then, then obviously, there's a lot more incentive in that group that people are going to want to chase that breakaway. Um, but that very rarely happens. You're not going to get three guys in the same team in a break. Um, um, in a different scenario, if there's three teams up the up the front, um. And they are the three biggest teams, and there's one guy representing both of those teams. You know, realistically, that none of their teammates are going to attack and, and try and bridge across. Um, because they might bring the rest of the peloton with them. Um, so, you need to be thinking, okay, well, looking around, that's at least half of this peloton covered by, by the rest of their teammates. The rest of the guys look absolutely blowing. I'm going to have to do something here. And if I absolutely smash myself to bits for a lap, I think I'll make it to that to that group. And if I don't go now, it'll be too late. So then you have to make that make that decision. Um, or you might have a word with someone else in the group um, who's not on their team, for example, um, and, and decide that you two are going to go across. Or you might have a conversation with someone who is on the same team as one of them up the front and say look um you know we'll do a surprise move me and you will go across on our own if anyone else comes along you know i i appreciate you're gonna have to knock it down um and uh but yeah you might agree to doing that um one point about positioning um uh, going back actually um you know, another good point um, is that you need to kind of understand how far into the race um, is the break as well and, and what the body language of the rest of the peloton are. Um, are the same riders doing all of the work in the peloton um, and are they getting tired? So, you know, you might, you might be able to already tell that the peloton are actually going to catch. You know, that you might do a quick time check for two laps and realize that the peloton are actually catching and you might you might be a selfish fool and and actually do no work and just sit in and wait for that to happen or you might realize that they're catching and actually help out a little bit as well and do one pull every four four turns or whatever and and help that and try and get a bit get incentive to to catch them um positioning quite important to stay at the front um but not on the front um, in a fast-flowing crit, it's always good to stay in the top third of the bunch. But remember, if you're not constantly moving forwards, <laughs> you tend to be going backwards. And that there's never a truer word said. Um, the amount of times I've been in a crit race and I've just thought, oh, I'm in, you know, fifth wheel or whatever. I'm in the perfect position. I'll just stay here for a bit. And then literally three seconds later, I'm in... 15th <laughs> um you know if you're not constantly thinking about how to get further up the field you tend to be going backwards so to bear that in mind um and uh yeah it is important to stay near the front of the bunch so that if that's if like a split happens due to a rider that's not as strong that can't hold a wheel or whatever um you can be on the right side of that split but bear in mind that it's easy to get boxed in when you're kind of hiding from the wind. Place yourself at the, what I think, 
personally is that you should place yourself at the edges of the group so you can move up easily to to opportune at the opportune time now people might have conflicting opinions on this um but i would generally say that if you're literally in the middle of the peloton yes you might be getting a little bit better um drag a little bit better uh, aerodynamic benefit from sitting in that in that group and get pulled along but I promise you, you're making it harder for yourself because you're having to be very reactive with every every pedal stroke. You might be having to touch your brakes every now and again. You're having to be real skitty with it all. If you're at the edge of the peloton, you're getting most of the benefit from the from the from the peloton and, and preventing the wind. Um, you need to be savvy with which side you're on, and like you're always moving as well, depending on where the course is. Um, but yeah, it means that you can um drift a lot more um and you can you know you can by placing yourself at the edges it also allows you to catch a free ride as as riders come past and move up in the bunch you know if people decide to to move up through the peloton people will typically maybe come past you and you can just jump on their wheel and move up as well um so it's a quite a critical point which i think a lot of people do wrong um Sip, sip of the drink. Next point, breakaway strategies. Um, so you've been on the attack all day and you finally made the move that stuck. Now what? It's not a matter of going as hard as you can, obviously. If you go full gas, uh, you'll just blow up in no time. Uh, you have to know how to manage that gap. If you need to attack again, when to put in a soft attack, when to counter-attack, when to sit in, when to take a pull, when to give up, and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a very it's very much a, a skill to be learned. Is that um, you need to you know if you've got if you've broken and you've got a twenty meter gap, the skill of knowing how hard you can go to make sure you stay out front but not too hard so that you blow up um, and not too easy so that the peloton catches is obviously massively to do with your fitness for one and your form. Um, but it's also to do with your ability to pace, your how hard you went in that initial attack and so on. Um, but realistically, you need to be able to be fit enough so that you can attack hard, like full gas for a minute to initiate that response um and then once you've attacked maximally for a minute you need to be able to drop down to like threshold power just over threshold power and you need to be able to sustain that and if you can obviously train so that not not only the attack is harder but also the threshold power is higher then you're going to be in a better position and you're more likely to stay away if there's other riders with you um, it changes the whole scenario. Um, I, would, I would hope there's other riders with you. If you are up there, up the road with one other person, then that's great. Um, you can do turns, you can do pulls, depending on whether what what direction the wind's in, depending on what the course profile looks like. You can do like lap turns. You can do minute on, minute off. Don't be too, you know, you won't be clock watching, but you might. Um, I mean, for example, if if there's a flat crit circuit but one is a headwind and one is a backwind then you wouldn't just do half lap turns because one would always be getting the headwind one was always be getting the backwind you'd do either full lap turns or more likely kind of you know 
two third of lap turns ish so that gradually you share the work um between each headwind each backwind um but um but yeah there's 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 plenty to be to be discussed and obviously once you actually get out there and in a winning move um it's like a whole different conversation in itself um if you are on your own it's like a whole time trial strategy that you have to think about what kind of power you need to hold but ultimately a lot of it should be based on feel um one thing i will say though is that um don't just think about your power at the end of the day the the faster the speed the better so that means make sure you get as aero tucked as possible make sure you navigate the turns as fast as possible one advantage you're going to have over the rest of the peloton is that you're on your own so you don't have to worry about the other riders in the technical turns so that means that you can rail the corners without any worry at all um some of some of my best races have been done in wet races because i actually instigate a move quite early when everyone's uh, worried about the wet um and uh, yeah no one's got the confidence to corner so uh, you can easily get a bit of a, a bit of a gap um lastly i want to talk about the sprint um quite often the final sprint isn't the sprint to the finish line and that's one thing i'm going to say um the final sprint is actually to the final corner often and it massively depends on what the the, the course layout is but i can think of a couple of um circuits where the sprint is more like to the final corner um most crits will have a corner which is roughly 200 to 300 meters from the finish line and if you don't come into that corner positioned properly i.e sometimes in the front but more often than not in second second wheel then you'll have a no chance of winning the sprint you know you're not going to come into that uh, last corner in 10th 11th place and still be able to win the sprint even if you had uh, rob's like uh, sorry legs like robert forsterman um no chance um the optimal position depends on obviously the distance from that corner to the finish line um the closer the corner to the finish the closer you should be to the front obviously um but it realistically it should be anywhere between the top two to five um so consider that uh, consider that you know um, i think many people just think oh i'll light it up after the last corner and see the best i can do but i've won crits where i've actually won crits before where i have literally kidded myself that the finish line is that final corner and i've finished with absolutely no legs and no ability to perform any kind of wattage at that final corner um and then basically i've done the final corner and then literally like you know i don't know word to express it turned the pedals <laughs> with a lot of pain and suffering just like maintained my momentum over the next straight for the next 100 meters and i managed to do well or i managed to win um so yeah you need to consider that um take note of how far it is that finish line is from that last corner to the finish um, and position yourself accordingly in that final sprint um, also consider the wind direction if it's a long straight you need to consider the wind direction which side of the road you want to be at what way the peloton is likely going to be drifting um, i mean personally for me i would always rather be i'm kind of one of those people who would always rather just have a, 
a clean sprint with no one around me. I would always rather have a little bit more wind in my face, um, but be able to completely kick the pedals without any fear of running into someone. So even if that meant, like, for example, if we're coming out onto a finish line straight, and the peloton always tends to drift left, but the wind is coming um, from the right, which would make you want to be on the left of the road, then sometimes I might consider, e even though I'm going to be having more wind, I might consider being on the right-hand side of the road, just so that I know I've got like a clear path. Um, because then I don't have to worry about any, any people in front of me. Um, I can just go, I can just go full gas. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Um, but there really aren't any, you know, there aren't any golden rules to crit racing. Um, every crit is different. Um, every race will pan out slightly differently. Um, and and the, there's always going to be different things which happen within it, which have an effect on um, have an effect on things in in different ways. Um, but um, but yeah, hopefully that was some things to consider at least. There's a couple of questions that came through on my Instagram the other week um, when I asked about uh, race tactics Q and A, which was specific for crit racing. And I've just brought them up now. I'll just reel them off. Um, one of the questions was, any tips on finding that ideal last lap wheel? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think the reality is there's many different ways on on deciding um, which rider is the one to mark. Um the more information you can gather, the better, um, and and this betters your chances of getting it right. Um, before the race, you know, simply take a look at the standings, know who's doing well in the standings, know who's regularly winning these races. Um, is one rider dominating the series or or races? Um, and if that rider is typically winning or getting top threes in nearly all of the races, then they are one of the guys to follow. Um, you know, riders that are well placed but need maximum points could be could be good choice as well. Um, and and look out for teams that specialise in in these crits as well. Sometimes, um, which which and 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 known to be you know individuals which are known to be good good sprinters. Um, you can even go one step further and and watch. Um, watch riders warming up um, you know as silly as it sounds the warm-up can give you a very uh, valuable intel riders that appear to be practicing their sprint um, in in that warm-up are likely the ones to have to have a good sprint and to to be kind of looking for the sprint as the way to develop their result um, riders that aren't practicing their sprint ones that are just riding around on a warm-up um, will probably not be the ones that are going to be in a, in the contention for a sprint. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of local races, which I do, where you get to know the riders and you know them very well and you know the ones that always tend to break early, the ones that can't sprint for toffee, the ones that can sprint well. Um, 
and and you know very well what the wheels are to follow but then equally you know you know you go into other races and you've never seen people before it's very hard to tell you can tell some somewhat from what team they are what they look like how the how they're built and so on if they've got a very athletic body and a very nice bike but then equally sometimes that tells you absolutely f all you know you might just have a lot of money and good genetics to look good um and actually it might be the guy with incredibly hairy legs and um speedo cycling shorts and uh shorts short um cycling socks and uh and a borrowed t-shirt which wins the sprint <laughs> um so yeah you, you never know um but um but you can get some key information um before you start um <clears throat> once you have a marked sprinter to follow um you know you have to get onto that wheel uh, and this is easier said than done but chances are you aren't the only one who wants that position and and fighting for positions consumes energy but it's definitely worth it you need to find that wheel very early and like a few laps ahead it's not it's not worth trying to find that wheel literally in the last corner that's already too late i know many scenarios where i've picked the guy i would know has got a good kick and picked the guy that no i know can corner well and so on um, I followed his wheel literally from three laps to go, um, <clears throat> and um, and then it's worked out. And uh, but um, but yeah, you need to be you need to be um, early with that decisions. Um, so <clears throat> so yeah, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I've gone crazy crazy croaky now. I'm glad it's ending the near end, ending the podcast soon. A couple of other. Other related Q and A, or sorry, non-related Q and A. Um, I put out um, on my Instagram last night just some random questions. If anyone had any, um, and there's a couple that are non-relevant to crit racing that I wanted to add on to the end. Um, thoughts on Huel? Um, uh, he's put Huel produces. I'm assuming products. He meant. Huel products in relation to nutrition and weight loss. Um, <clears throat> in all fairness, Huel, um, I've looked into the product and it does what it says on the tin. It does contain about 400 calories um, in a bottle. Um, if we're talking about that bottled protein drink, um, it does contain about 20 grams of protein. It does contain a certain amount of carbs certain amount of fat um, and a whole plethora of micronutrients as well however in my opinion it does not replace good quality food um, if you are the individual who literally needs to eat or slash drink for convenience then yeah you, you replacing certain meals with these huel drinks could be an initiative to do that but realistically if you're an athlete None of those three meals in a day should be 400 calories. <laughs> Let me just put that very, very clear. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is on the assumption that you're thinking of um, changing maybe one of those meals, like your mid midday meal for a Huel drink instead. Um, realistically, you know, 400 calories for a lunch um, is not a, a very wise um 
it's, it's not it's not enough calories for for the type of guy that you are that I know that you've asked the question um, and and the, the, most of the listeners in the in this podcast as well um, you know realistically your lunch should be anywhere in the region of 600 to 800 calories um, and yeah I mean I, personally for me I enjoy food a lot too much i enjoy cooking it i enjoy eating it i enjoy different flavors and textures and drinking 400 calories just feels like a waste to me um so yeah it has its place is the answer um maybe but but in my opinion it has its place for example if you have a a very high calorie training day and you need a mid-morning snack at like 10 o'clock, you've had your breakfast at 6, you're having your lunch at 1, and you need a mid-morning snack, then 400 calories in a Huel drink is probably about perfect. But as a meal replacement, um, I would say, no, they're, they're not ideal, um, generally. I mean, for general population, I think, you know, they're, they're generally doing the right thing, they're, you know, they're, they're generally going the right, right way to improve people's health. Um sip my drink sorry because you know we're talking about people who either go and buy a big mac or they eat or they drink huel um you know and they've got a lot of people who are like oh my god i started drinking huel and i lost so much weight and i felt loads better in myself and blah 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 yes that's because you were eating utter dog shit beforehand you know, if you take someone who's eating a very healthy diet, which most people on this podcast will be doing, listening to this podcast will be doing, then you take out one of those very healthy nutritionist meals and replace it with a bottle of fuel, you're not going to be improving your diet. Um, and if anything, um, you're going to be losing out certain aspects, in my opinion. And it's going to be more expensive. <laughs> um, other questions... Uh, what is your thought? Oh, this this is actually asked by two people. What's your thoughts on Whoop bands? Um, and yeah, are they worth the cost? Hey, I've not got a Whoop band. I've never tried a Whoop band. Um, uh, so I don't feel like I can give a really good opinion on it. However. From a few clients who have had one, they've generally said that it's not worth it. They've generally said that it's not telling them much more than they already know. Now, my f my take on fitness trackers and health trackers in general is that it's data that is great to kind of know, but also it's not necessarily giving you any more... It's not giving you anything that you need to know. It's giving you things which are um, nice to know if you're really interested but then equally they can have the opposing effect on certain things as well or um, and, and it can actually disregard how you feel sometimes. I'm a big believer in the first thing that you should be prioritizing when it comes to whether you should train or not, whether you're recovered or not and so on is how you feel in yourself. Um, and if your whoop band is saying that you're ready to train, you're fresh as anything, but you feel properly crap, then, you know, 
um, that's contradicting in my opinion. Um, yeah, and with regards to the other things that it does, with regards to sleep tracking and things like that, um, I mean, it, again, it's interesting, but you can do it on a lot cheaper, a cheaper way of doing it. Um, so yeah, I must, I must admit, I don't have any strong opinions either way, um, but I wouldn't buy one. Um, I've got a Garmin Forerunner watch, which was um, 200 quid. I use it as a running watch, and it also records my sleep, my health data, my fitness, freshness, blah, 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 um, just like a Whoop band does. Um, you know, Whoop calls it strain, um, Garmin calls it something else, and, and so on. Um, anyway... I'm going to wrap the podcast up there because my voice is getting incredibly sore. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we have a guest on the podcast called Matt Nelson, and we're going to have a really good chat about TTs, about injuries, about um, his triathlon background, his performances, about training, and it's going to be a great podcast to listen to, so make sure you tune in next week. Until then, see you again next time.